Dwayne Burge of The Hollywood Reporter called this movie a hard-charged, perfectly detonated actioner that should especially delight especially macho mainstreamers. San Francisco Chronicle critic Mick LaSalle wrote, With a movie like this, we know what has to happen. The fun is in seeing how it happens. And Jeffrey Anderson of Combustible Celluloid hailed its sequel as a well-paced, dumb, fun movie. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Under Siege. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! Dan, watch out. There's somebody in your kitchen, and they're gonna kick your ass with Aikido. I know, because she has been taking her class <laughs> every Tuesday, and I let her practice on me, and I, and she has, this is my daughter, Chloe, we're talking about, who has taken martial arts and has, I, I have, I have to use a pro wrestling term, sold for her many a time in our kitchen. She is, in fact, our own is little- Is she learning Aikido at all? Little Chloe Ryback. Oh, boy. Um, is she learning Aikido? No. Uh, is actually, she's not learning, learning Aikido these days. No one that I know. They're not doing anything anymore because she doesn't have any, they're not doing any indoor exercise. Sure. Classes, yeah. So. Yeah. It's funny we to are think under about the siege of the pandemic. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think about because Steven Seagal, uh, before he was in movies, was doing all these like Aikido demonstrations. I think he was on like the Merv Griffin show or something. And they all were about like how he just uses his baby finger, as he says, not like pinky finger, a little finger, my baby, my finger, baby finger to thwart attacks. So it's like he can push somebody away using only his baby finger. And I'm just thinking of Chloe's little six year old tiny finger. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not even that. It's just like people pushing themselves against his finger and him making them fall over. It's really dumb looking. As he comes for me, I don't, I don't use strength. I don't need strength. It's just, my energy is going down. Okay, see what I'm, he finds it real hard to get up because of my energy, not because I'm pressing on him. If I try to use strength to overcome him, it becomes very difficult. In other words, if I tell him I'm going to take my baby finger, which is very small compared to his body, and I say, I want you to break it. If I use strength, match my strength against his, naturally it hurts because his body's so much stronger than my finger. But if I say, push me over or break my finger, this is my baby finger. And Merv... Come on up behind him and just push on him. I want to, I want, we're not going to hurt you. You're not going to have to fall down. I'm not your nephew. I just want you to push. And say, see? Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> what, I, what I'm doing is just using my energy. My energy is going out.
you know, it came up, his name also came up, Steven Seagal's name, but but recently, because we're talking about Under Siege today. Why not? Yes, it's Ruined Childhoods. the yeah. Ruined Childhoods podcast. I'm John, that's Dan. We're talking about movies and imagining a future for them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And Under imagining Siege. the best possible future, the best possible timeline for the fate of that movie. So yeah, we're, but we're first we're, we're going to celebrate it. But before we really get into Under Siege and Steven Seagal, and I realize mm-hmm. that I cut you off mid-sentence. You were about to talk about Steven Seagal a little bit. But I do have a one more thing for The Fisher King, which was our, was that our last episode? It sure it was. Feels, it feels like it was even longer ago. But we didn't really talk about Amanda Plummer. I feel like we completely glossed over Amanda Plummer, who was excellent as how did we do that wasn't she also nominated for an academy award that year for the fisher king i don't remember i don't know but uh, yeah but she she's fantastic and the the one there there are two other movies that i like really know her from one being pulp fiction and the other one being so i married an axe murderer in which she is also perfect for the part and i had no idea that she was Christopher Plummer's daughter. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. know like how that information just like never entered my world, but that I started like doing some reading on her and I was like, what? How did I well, miss I, that? I was thinking about it. I it it came up the other day. I guess I was thinking about Christopher Plummer because he's in so many great movies. And in fact, there's that Terry Gilliam connection of Christopher Plummer being in 12 Monkeys. Right. Yeah. So, huh. uh, which is, which Gilliam is Gilliam loves extra. the plumber family. Yeah. Hey, you, I, I got you a Gilliam. You got me a plumber. Let's go. And also right. Amanda Plummer, uh, she has been very active. She was recently in the nurse, um, nurse ratchet series. And, uh, she's, I don't know. She's been very, very active. I think she's won some Tonys. She does a lot of work in theater. So, um, hats off to Amanda Plummer. You were a wonderful Lydia, um, according, yeah, Perfect. according to Terry Gilliam's uh, director's commentary on the Criterion Blu-ray for um, the Fisher King, he had somebody else in mind like this entire time, and and was kind of set on it. And then Amanda Plummer like sent a tape in or something, and he was about to like make the decision for this other person, but then he just decided, you know what? Why don't I give this one a watch and he watched her audition and was completely blown away. And like, I think there was some sort of like secretary or something that was there. And he asked her opinion and she was like, that's the perfect person for the part. And that's our Lydia. <laughs> that's our Lydia. She so, is. Yeah. And, yeah. and Gilliam, you know, like <laughs> as, as, as shitty as he came across and comes across, right? Uh, he is very complimentary of of her work. Absolutely, of course. Yes. I mean, of course, he is. She's wonderful. Yeah. But um, yeah. So actually, uh, oh, and I forgot she was in the second Hunger Games film. Catching That's right. Fire. Was it the that was the second one that she was in? Yeah, she was the yeah. past winner from years. One of prior. the past. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whichever. Yeah. She was really, I remember she was thinking she was a really great casting choice for that. But of yeah. course, but when, I mean, like Pulp Fiction, how many times if you are of like this generation, not just the movie, but the soundtrack, the soundtrack. that opens with Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, yeah. like how well do we all, do we all know, like, you know, um, any of your fingerprints, baby? 
It's yeah. so good. And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. Yeah, I love it. She's perfect. Smart. She's so. I mean, like, not to go on a Pulp Fiction tangent, but man, like, so, so yeah. uh, You know, last week we were talking about um, the the problematic uh, past of Terry Gilliam and and the issues that we have with him, and we are going into a Steven Seagal episode. Somebody who's very problematic. (laughs) Somebody Seagal. Steven yeah. Seagal's beyond the bar. And I, I actually had a, a little, like, a mini one more thing, like a oh, half oh, a sorry, more sorry, thing, sorry. just from Fargo, because we had talked mm. about some of the William H. Macy performances pre-Fargo. And it it just kind of came to me the other day, in, like I was in the middle of doing something totally unrelated, and I said, oh, William H. Macy was like the assistant principal in Mr. Holland's Opus or something. And Was he? Yeah. What year was Mr. Holland's Opus? 95. Oh, Okay. So right celebrating before. its its 25th anniversary and this Fargo year. Although, was 96, is that right? Yeah. I got to tell you, though, I was thinking about Mr. Holland's opus, and I was thinking about the character of, of Mr. Holland, and what a dick. I was just it's thinking It's been about, a long time since I've seen it. I, it is, but, you know, I mean, part of it is just, like, I've been, I was thinking about characterization, and, like, what are, what are the things about this character? Well, let's see. He kind of wants to fuck a high school student at one point. Mm-hmm. He is totally insensitive about his deaf son. Before you go too much further, and yes, agree, terrible, terrible, for the next several episodes, you know, right now, this is episode 92. We are talking about a movie from 1992. Uh, the last episode was episode 91. We talked about a movie from 1991. So we're going from uh, year to year talking about movies from the uh, the subsequent years. So uh, if we've got 95 coming up, Mr. Holland's Opus may come up. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I I didn't necessarily know that Mr. <laughs> Holland's Opus. It, look, I I enjoyed the movie at the Decisions time. Decisions haven't been made. There's I'm some great saying. work in it, but the, like this, I remember because I remember thinking like, oh yeah, William H Macy's character was kind of a dick in that, and I was like, well, so was Mr. Holland. Like, mm. fuck his Opus. He sucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So sorry. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll keep 1995 in 1995. Right now, we'll stick to 1992. And this was early 92. When did this one come out? I want to say March 92. We should know these things. Yeah, that sounds um, about right. Yeah. I remember it was spring. It was like, uh, it, it was, was October. 92. It was, no, no, it was what? October 9th, 92. Oh, no kidding. I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Wow. And then uh, Under Siege 2 Dark Territory was July 14th, 95. Yeah. Oh, that's strange, though. I swear I remember it being like a, a late spring. Yeah, no, sure enough. Did you see an advanced screening of it? Like a way advanced screening of it? No. I mean, I you know, I guess maybe I'm thinking about because I didn't see it in the theater. And I guess I I rented it when it came out on VHS, which must have been in spring 93. I don't know. That's weird. Maybe. I remember it. I, I But you know what? It's This is we're talking about. I not everything I remember is crystal clear. <laughs> so uh, before we really dive into Under Siege, you know, we talked about how Steven Seagal is a very problematic person. I just want to uh, address this first. Bad man, bad, bad, bad man. He is known for uh, three things: being uh, notoriously the worst host of Saturday Night Live in history. <laughs> Uh, being a 
sleazeball sexual predator and under siege <laughs> pretty much like you know he's he definitely had a um a, a run-up in his career leading up to this but this was like the peak of his career in films and dude is still making them but shouldn't be um, is he oh, making them in Russia? I'm where... sorry. There's there's two more things that he's known for. The Dalai Lama named him a deity, and he's BFFs with Putin. Yeah. Like, at one point, wasn't That's he the kind top of five like, things that he's known for. At one point, like, during these last four years, this, like, like chaotic, like, Robert Altman on crack menagerie of events, I feel like Steven Seagal at one point was, like, a liaison between Trump and Putin. And I was just like, well, this is, we mm-hmm. are like <laughs> that. That's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. In two, in 2018, he was appointed Russia's special envoy to the United it's States. It's crazy. It's absolutely wrong. And I don't like it. <laughs> no, no, he is a, uh, but on the other hand, he's also like, he's also done things like for the, like environment and, and right. animal rights. But he was named like PETA's like person of the year, like some, accolade from from them yeah yeah but it's like i think for steven seagal the bad definitely outweighs the good um oh yeah and he is also to me like my least favorite of i think about the four big action heroes the the four big 80s 90s action heroes and i i feel like the way i look at it it's um you know Jean-Claude Van Damme. Lo- well no i think of all right so okay. top tier is like stallone and Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. And then the next tier is kind of like Stigall. Seagal was almost like the second tier Stallone and Van Damme was the second tier uh, Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And Seagal for me was always a distant fourth. I, by the way, I don't include other actors like, like Wesley Snipes because Wesley sure. Snipes did not only do action movies. Wesley Snipes... Uh, his career has been all over the place. Comedies like White Men Can't Jump, uh, dramas right. like Jungle Fever. Uh, you know, so You're I just, just talking wanted- your action star. I'm talking like that's what I know. Stallone and Schwarzenegger have done yeah, in the Jingle JCVD all the way. And, yeah, stop and mom will shoot. Come on, of course, all classics. <laughs> but known as action heroes, Seagal was never. One that I I didn't necessarily gravitate towards his movies. I found them very. I don't understand the appeal of Seagal as an action star. You know he he's very soft spoken and he doesn't say much. Probably because if he was given more than three lines in a row, you know it would completely ruin the illusion (laughs) that he is a character. I love his little (laughs) accent in. In Under Siege. Oh, though. his little Cajun accent that he loses it's after like, like a minute. Don't let me get about the joke when Andre and Boudreaux went hunting down on the bayou. <laughs> Where the guns? Where the guns, Juliet? <laughs> That's not right. Yeah, it's like half Cajun, half like Atlanta. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's weird. But uh, so I just want to give like a little bit of Steven Seagal you don't background understand because what this these is guys the first. Are do. <laughs> this is the first time yeah. we're talking about him. I. Uh, he yeah he was the he was the only american aikido trainer like had his own dojo if that's what it's called for aikido in japan 
And he did all these like TV appearances. And then he became like the personal Aikido trainer too. And I'm blanking on his name, but like some movie executive, I think who was with like Disney at one point. And he basically decided I'm going to make this guy who at this point was like 40, maybe it's like, I'm going to make this guy an action star. I'm going to put him in movies. And that's was it above the law out for justice, which whatever Trevor one was the first one above the law, which above Andrew the law. Davis also directed. Yeah, yeah. Directed by Andrew Davis, who directed the second under siege movie, if I'm not mistaken. No, the, the first one. Oh, was it the first one? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, um, that's right. The second one was the like New Zealand. Um, I forget what his name is. It, I should look that up real oh, quick. <laughs> yeah. But no, no. Uh, when oh, I Jeff look Murphy. At- that's right. I'm looking at, at his career and you know he also was I think he did was like did the martial stunts. arts trainer on 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 Never Say Never Again was it yeah. where he like broke Sean Connery's hand or Right. Or he did some like stunt choreography and uh, other types of stunt coordination on I think a few Bond movies in that era. And then yeah, and then he did um Above the Law and it's and, and it kind of just like I don't know it, they gave him this movie that I think was probably pretty cheap to make. I'm sure it made its money back enough that they were like, let's give him another one. And up until the point where it was like, all right, under siege, this is the one. And clearly there was a lot that was put into it. You had Tommy Lee Jones, who was, I mean, kind of on fire at the time. It was pre fugitive, but, but post JFK, he was an JFK, Academy Award nominee that year. Right. But I think that when they filmed it, he hadn't yet been nominated. No, no. Yeah. But he so, would have already made, he would have already made JFK. And right. I mean, it was he the was same producers. Actor. Yeah. So I mean, well, they, yeah, he was, had made lots of movies before. Lots that. of movies, lots of movies. And yeah. then you have Gary Busey, who's, you know, super hot at the time. And, <laughs> crazy i mean for well if you're looking was, for that kind of for, guy well i mean point break sure yeah he had done that the year the year before but he but was, being, he, was, he, was he, he was cast he, in real movies he wasn't like well this was kind know. of like it well yeah like lethal weapon he had kind of a similar sure. type of mm-hmm. role yeah, Gary Busey also has an Academy Award nomination, you know, to his name for what it's worth for the Buddy Holly story. That's right. That's right. And and John, I'm sorry, I just wanted to also, uh, while we're talking about s- some Seagal background, have you ever seen any episodes of the uh, the series Steven Seagal Lawman? Never. I think I watched once. Yeah. I think I watched the first episode. Yeah. Was it and uncomfortable? Was, no, it just no. was, it was just kind of there. It was just kind of happening and it was just kind of like, okay, so this is just, and it, this, I mean, this, look, it would have been, it probably would be a lot more uncomfortable now, like in the hindsight of like really understanding the um, motivations behind shows like that mm-hmm. and like cops and things like that. And especially in like, I think Louisiana. Where well, I think was. that was also the, yeah. the time of like Dog the Bounty Hunter and uh, yeah, you know, where there yeah, was this, totally. this thirst for these justice shows, these like real life justice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, wow. So he also has his name on an energy drink that was mm-hmm. once discontinued. And, uh, let's not forget his musical career. Right. He released two albums, I believe. Um, let's see. He's got, uh, and there w- I know he also, uh, wrote and recorded the song that plays at the very end of Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Nice. Nice. Yeah. He does have two albums out, uh, Songs from the Crystal Cave, which, 
Actually, it, like everybody else on this album sounds, it's, it's like Tony Rebel, Lady Sauce, Stevie Wonder uh-huh. are all on it with him. I'm like, I'm interested in this album except for Steven Seagal. I would watch um, a movie about the making of that album because I'm sure it's bananas. Yeah, but only if it was like it would, I, I would trust like James Franco and Seth Rogen to- yeah, to do it. Absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> but but yeah, so Seagal, Steven Seagal, uh, yeah, has done quite a lot. Um, and yeah, it, yeah, but just generally, and I, I do, do not it. want to fat shame anybody, but Steven Seagal has been increasing in mass throughout his entire career, even between Under Siege and Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. And now it's at the point where his movies involve him mostly sitting down and doing nothing. <laughs> you know, like maybe aiming a he, gun at somebody. He kind of looks like like when when Cartman go, like disguises himself as a grown-up and like draws a beard on his face <laughs> and like like oh, darkens his hair. Yeah, it's sad. The what he's been doing with his hair and his beard are sad because But I mean he's, he's also I He's, he's got to be think, pushing 70 and he's got jet black hair and this like bushy jet black goatee. It's bizarre. Yeah. But Where that's in, like, in his early that's in, these in above the law, he's, you know, balding and it looks good because he looked like a real person, but you know, he had his, I think signature ponytail at the time. But he, even one of the reviews I read of under siege was commenting about how it, um, it looked like he was, licking one too many cake cake pans he's more of an inaction hero he <laughs> just kind of walks from one place to another and gets into very close you know uh one-on-one fights where he maybe stabs somebody or impales them with a some sort of beam but there's never any like you know far away shots of him doing any type of martial arts it's always very close up uh sped up uh, yeah, it's very bizarre. Yeah. But why don't I get into a little synopsis of Under Siege before we oh, yeah, just completely... Do, yeah. yeah. In reverse chronological order, the USS Missouri served in the Gulf War, the Korean War, and most notably was pivotal in ending World War II. But as the ship is set to be decommissioned just after the Gulf War, a group of mercenaries plan to sell the ship's Tomahawk missiles, some of which contain nuclear warheads, by unloading them onto a stolen North Korean submarine. But the mercenaries, led by Bill Stranix, formerly of the CIA, with help from the ship's Benedict Arnold, Commander Krill, don't expect the ship's head chef has the chops to save the day. It turns out that Chef Casey Ryback was a Navy SEAL and is finishing out his tenure as the Missouri's cook. Ryback, with the help of Jordan Tate, a Playboy playmate on board the ship to help celebrate the captain's birthday, manages to figure out the plan and pose obstacles for the mercenaries at every turn. Ryback, Tate, and a small group of crew members are able to take over the controls and eliminate the stolen submarine, on which Krill is attempting to escape. Stranix and Ryback end up in a close-quarters knife fight, resulting in Stranix getting a knife through the top of his skull, but not before he launches a nuclear-tipped tomahawk directly towards Honolulu. Ryback is able to quickly disable the missile just before it reaches land, History is made once again aboard the USS Missouri. So, uh, Steven Seagal is Ryback, Tommy Lee Jones is Stranix, Gary Busey is uh, Commander Krill, 
Erica Alenak is Jordan Tate. Am I saying her name right? Alenak? Aleniak? Aleniak. Aleniak. Colmini is uh one of the one of the mercenaries. There, there's a it's a great cast. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of really solid people in here. Raymond Cruz, who uh, people might remember from Breaking Bad, he's uh, Tuco. He's in this very very young, but right. once yeah. you realize it, you're like, oh yeah, that's Tuco, Tuco Salamanca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and I have to say. I love, 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 love Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. He is a Tommy Lee Jones that you're not used to really seeing so much. Uh, he's got this energy to him. He's got like long hair, this tie-dyed shirt, this leather jacket. He's very much like this revol. I mean, he is literally revolutionary. He describes it. And he is this rock and roll, but he's so gone. Like one thing that I love about this character I think it's, I mean, there's like a little bit in the script, but I really think Tommy Lee Jones, Sure, what he brings to this character is the understanding. And I think I picked up on this more on this most recent viewing than previous viewings, but he brings that sense of like, all right, so this isn't just a guy who got like used and then thrown out or attempted to be thrown out. This was a guy who got into it already. A little bit off, like, because he goes like this. He spends his whole military career doing these like covert operations and these like black ops. And you have to think about the mind frame of somebody who's really, really good at that and how they've to be really, really, really good at that. You've got to be a little fucked in the head. Absolutely. And, you know, this is somebody who has been screwed over by his government for his entire career and this is this is where he is this is well, so they it makes try to a lot kill of him absolutely this makes a lot of sense to me and he is one of those action movie villains who i kind of like feel bad for and i i mean what he is trying to do is you know it's gross and wrong but like you can't fully get super mad at him for wanting to do it He's a less sympathetic version uh, of, of, well, and this movie came later, but Ed Harris in The Rock, right. who mm-hmm. I think Ooh, is, yeah. I'm, who like the motivations are much less. And I think what makes me more sympathetic towards that character, while I love Tommy Lee Jones in in this, is that, is the nature of the character and the fact that you think like, you know, oh, so this was one of those guys who was able to put some really messed up skills to, yeah. you know- can I uh, just work. mention one quick thing about uh, Ed Harris's character in The Rock? Mm-hmm. So, at uh, spoiler, he dies at the end. And at his military funeral, next to his uh, gravesite is his deceased wife's graves, grave. And Dan, do you know what it says on her on her headstone? I next to like I, Ed Harris's, which says like Captain Whatever Whatever. Do you I know what her remember. headstone says? His wife. His wife. It says his wife. His wife. Yeah. Just his wife. <laughs> his wife. It just says his wife. It doesn't have a name. It doesn't have anything. It just says his wife. Well, How it's, awful it's a, is it's that? It's a, a woman's tombstone in a Michael Bay movie. What yeah, more do you ask? No kidding. That is a perfect example of what it means to be a dead woman in a Michael Bay movie. So, wow. The, so this movie, there's there's so much going on. And also, just to speak about Stranix and his ability to pull off such a, a crazy thing. So, like we said, this is taking place during like the 
the time where the ship is being decommissioned. You see George Bush at the beginning. It's this whole thing about how the ship is being decommissioned. So uh, it's explained why there's very few people on board the ship, where there should be thousands, and also how people are able to get on board. Because uh, Commander Krill, Gary Busey's character, as being somebody on the inside, has arranged, allegedly, for food to be brought in for this uh, part this birthday party for the ship's captain uh, to be brought in from Hawaii, and the the chopper. I think I think the thing is that they snuck on board the helicopter because that that's the same one that uh, Jordan Tate is on. So there's people being out of bring brought over for legit reasons, and then no, they're all Jordan Tate is the like they book Jordan Tate. Oh, I know that. It, which is bizarre oh. to me because it's like they he knows that there's going to be this takeover going on. Well, I mean, it, it goes to show like being a Playboy playmate of not even the year, just uh, of like a month. Right. Doesn't doesn't score you the, the like, you know, the top agents at C. Michael Ovitz is not representing her in mm-hmm. negotiations. Yeah. I don't. I'm I'm going out on a limb. I'm pretty sure that's the name of someone who was once a very powerful agent. Perhaps still is. I want to say that Michael Ovitz is the. Is he head of guy, the CIA? Michael Ovitz was the guy who hired Steven Seagal to be his personal... Yeah. What? He is the guy who got Steven Seagal into movies. I, I didn't know that. Not. I was just trying to think of like... I'm looking the, at an article like from... The first I'm looking at an article could... from 1988. Steven Seagal gets a shot at stardom. And it's all about how... okay. Seagal has an enthusiastic film studio booster, a megapotent Hollywood agent pal, Michael Ovitz, and a high-profile public relations firm to go along with a model starlet wife, Kelly LeBrock. So yeah, it's Michael Ovitz. That's so crazy That's that you brought insane. him up. Well, no, I was because I was like, I was like early '90s big name agent, and Michael Ovitz, yes, co-founded uh, Creative Artists Agency and was its chairman right. until 1995. So, so I, I was, I went out on a limb there, but damn it, Dan, all right, I'm gonna, that is I'm gonna bonkers. I'm gonna pat myself on the back here. So, and also in, right. in 2017, there's an article at trial. Michael, Michael Ovitz intends to blame Steven Seagal for threatening threatening journalist. Oh my. Bad, bad dudes, bad dudes, bad dude. That's why that's, that's why it's called bad dudes. They're bad dudes. That's why it's called bad. Dudes. <laughs> um, so under siege, yeah. So she's on the. Hel- you know what else is crazy about that? They shipped out from Hawaii. Right. That's true. They were at Pearl Harbor. Why didn't they no just- need to chopper that in? How about just like how about just like hey, like you're getting paid for this gig. We're shipping out at three p.m. Be on yeah. board. So. I, I just want to okay. also talk a little bit. I mean, while we're talking about things that like don't make a ton of sense. So Krill, who really hates Ryback, instead of like finding a way to kick him off the ship, he locks him in a meat locker with just like a very low level military police guy, like standing in front of the door, kind of a dummy. If you were, if you were to really think about it. and. Uh, it's like, does I forget, does he not know that he has this background? Because, like, he's the commander of the ship. How does he not know who this guy is? That he was, because like, on SEAL Team because, 4 or whatever. Because it's in uh, the the captain's 
like personal files. That's right. Which uh, they you don't get you're into right. until you're the right. captain is that's dead. Right, I also st- just, I finished watching this again, like last that's night. True. It is very Stranix, fresh. I remember said like, how did you not know? And he was like, it was in, that's right. You're totally right. It was in the captain's thing that I just got access to. Yeah. Uh, a lot of ins and outs, a lot of what twists. Have yous. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonder the screenplay wasn't nominated. By the way, did you know that the screenplay for Under Siege was written by the same writer who wrote Pretty Woman? Is that true? It is true. J.F. Lawton. J.F. Lawton. J.F. Lawton. Very, also very interesting. Of, uh, Chain Reaction, uh, which I believe was another Andrew Davis film starring Keanu Reeves. Sounds about right. Freeman. And yeah. then, I mean, he wrote other things, but yeah, Pretty Woman. Huh. Okay. So uh, another thing that I wanted to mention is uh, allegedly it was Steven Seagal's idea, and he is credited as, I think, a co-writer to have the Playboy Playmate sidekick. And as like, I know that he wanted to do that for probably very sleazy reasons, but having somebody for him to explain things to is the only way that a movie like this can work. Because if you just have Steven Seagal muttering one-liners to himself or like thinking out loud. Yeah, he doesn't even do one-liners. He does. Oh, I know he does in the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're terrible. Not They're absolutely one. terrible. Oh my God. He, the guy cannot ha- deliver a line. Have you ever, have you ever heard or seen the, the Will Sasso, Steven Seagal vines? Oh, I think I have seen some of those. I have to say that the Will Sasso Steven Seagal impression is fantastic and it will give me a laugh anytime I need. When he does his when he does Steven Seagal listing his top 5 Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's great and it's a, it's spot on. Those those thin mints, tagalongs, samoas and So yeah, having a person for him to explain things to and, and kind of coach is it really serves the story. I uh, you kind of wish it was somebody else, but you get what you get. I mean, yes, but it's kind of like how do you get somebody who's not like who and and yeah, I understand it does not have to be a Playboy playmate doesn't have to be a stripper, right. but it's kind of like that. Who else do you get on board? And also, we're, we have to think it, it's a it's a you know navy vessel decommissioned yes but it's a navy vessel in the early 1990s and it's not as it's not the most unrealistic thing and it's like who else who are we going to get who they're not really going to be concerned about like like the bad guys are not going to be concerned about what happens or they're just going to stick her in a cake and put her to sleep and yeah Although, uh, although he way un- underdoses her, uh, right? I, th- I mean, I have a feeling that he attempted to dose her enough that she's knocked out the whole time, but such was not the case. You'd think Gary Busey would know more when it came to drugs like that. But. Yeah. So the whole sequence before leading up to the takeover uh, is at the surprise party for the captain, who is not yet at the party. You have Tommy Lee Jones and his band playing some blues music and he's wailing on the harmonica while some other dude is singing. And you have Gary Busey come out in drag, which is like, it's truly bizarre. He's also, and it's funny because like some people are just like, Oh, maybe commander's got a sense of humor after all, you know? 
and he almost immediately goes to the captain. So like he goes through all of that just for this one like walk through the crowd. He does that. I guess it's to disarm everyone and get everyone just distracted. But with the scene when he goes to get the captain and bring uh-huh. him down, it's so not because, you know, he's in drag, but just the way it's shot and the way Busey looks, it's mm-hmm. so creepy. It's very creepy. And he's like, I'm your date. <laughs> It's very creepy. Yeah, Busey leans in hard to the fact that he's wearing women's clothing. Feels good walking around these pantyhose. It's okay, Sergeant. I'm here to escort the captain to the party. Aye, Commander. Commander Krill, Captain? Yeah, send him in. Krill? I'm your date tonight, Captain. So he kills the captain and uh, it's I I love it when Tommy Lee Jones is just like, hey, who's like trying to just like it's almost like crowd work. And he's like, who's the highest ranking officer here? And this one guy stands up and he shoots him in the head and you just know like, oh, shit, it is on. And um, that's what I love about Tommy Lee Jones in this movie is that every moment makes a lot of sense. Every move that he makes really works. And um, big fan, big fan. the movie wouldn't, and there's a lot to this movie that does that sets it apart from the other Seagal movies, aside from Tommy Lee Jones. But when I think about this movie, and when I think about like why this is the one Steven Seagal movie that I will go back, it's the only one I own. It's the only one that I really enjoy watching uh-huh. or have enjoyed. I feel like I enjoyed Out for Justice when that came yeah, out. Yeah, I'm sure. But like none of the other ones I'm even like that entertained by. And yet this one, I th- I think the the setting, like I, I, as I was reading through some reviews, Roger Ebert commented, Siskel and Ebert both liked it. It's not hmm. quite why they love movies, but right. uh, it's it, Siskel or Ebert said that even though they filmed it on the uh, the Alabama, the Alabama, because mm-hmm. the Navy wouldn't let them use the Missouri and the Alabama was just like junked up in some like it was just like sitting there in mm. some bay and like off Alabama, off the coast of, of uh, Alabama, I guess. Uh, and so they shot a lot of it like that, like not it wasn't out at sea. Right. And Ebert right. was like, you could have fooled me. Yeah. That's Steven Seagal, of course, in Under Siege. And to date, approximately six million people have already seen this film. And I'm sure that makes six million satisfied customers because Under Siege is simply wonderful an exciting and funny and totally energized action picture with a pair of terrific villains and a very funny hero. Seagal, of course, is the hero, a Navy cook who knows more than just how to stir up good grub. He finds himself on a nuclear warhead-loaded battleship in the Pacific that is suddenly under attack from an American-led terrorist group. Tommy Lee Jones is the bad guy in charge, a disaffected CIA agent. You really think blowing up a bunch of innocent people is going to change anything? What made you flip like this? I got tired of coming up with last-minute desperate solutions to impossible problems created by other people. Jones has either killed or locked up everybody on the ship except ex-Navy SEAL Seagal and a Playboy playmate, Erica Aleniak, who has been brought on board for a party. Tell you what, I'll carry everything. You killed what we run into, all right? I have a little rule about killing people. 
Well, actually, I have two rules. See, one, I don't date musicians, and two, I do not kill people, okay? Under Siege is a lot of fun. I've been recommending it to men and women alike, stressing it for women, as a matter of fact. There's such a joy to the filmmaking and the performances that it doesn't seem all that violent. Tommy Lee Jones, as always, is a credible villain, and Steven Seagal seems more human than ever before. Obviously, I strongly recommend Under Siege. It's one of the best times you're going to have at a movie this year. It was one of mine. And I completely agree with you. And I, when I saw the trailer for this movie, I thought, here we go, Die Hard goes to sea. I thought I could predict okay. the whole movie. And in a way, I hey. could predict the whole movie, but it was really fun because of the performances. Yeah. And I think you ought to mention the director, Andrew Davis, because yes. this guy is unsung. Yes. And he made Code of Silence, which yeah. is the best Chuck Norris picture. He made Above the Law, Seagal's first film. He made The Package mm -hmm. with Gene Hackman. He is an extremely efficient yes. action director who here takes a situation that looks completely predictable. Yeah. And as you say, he has a lot of fun with it. Well, it is mounted very well. And when, when that movie term means it's big scale, yeah. the shots, what I'm really impressed with is Andrew Davis and his editor. They lay the shots in just when you need them. You're saying, hey, wait a minute, what's happening down at the other end of the ship? And yeah. bang, if he isn't there with that shot and picking up that action. Uh, the, the fun of this, we have great casting. We've been Tommy Lee Jones fans for years. Well, Tommy years. Lee Jones is a terrific villain here. The surprise is Erica Alaniac is the playboy. Yes. Playmate, because it's a it's the kind of character in an action picture that is completely extraneous. Right. Here you have all these guys shooting each other. You introduce Miss July of 1989, who has nothing to do with anything and knows it, and she just yes. follows him around, and she's going to hide behind him, and then she learns in the course of an hour or two how to be capable and strong, and, she, and it's a terrific and change. Can, there. And you can see that this actress yes. is actually playing a part. They yes. didn't. This isn't a documentary. She's very funny. She knows. It is. She uses this the the kind of value speak a little bit uh -huh. that you might expect uh it's a wonderful film really great fun so the production value is great and of course you got andrew davis and it was gets... nominated i think for two academy awards for sound editing and, and probably sound mixing but you know it understandable it's definitely got high production value it's and high it's quality fun. and it's a lot of and fun steven seagal and steven seagal works in this in yeah. this role Oh, yeah. there's one other there's one other movie that Steven Seagal is in that I used to enjoy watching, not anymore. Executive Decision. Uh, I knew you were going to say Executive Decision. What is it yeah. about it that you don't enjoy anymore? Oh, I think it's a little broad, broad with the you know extremism, like the is Islamoph. It's it's a little oh, Islamophobic, yeah. and mm -hmm. in hindsight, I was trying to remember who was the villain in that one. I it's been a while. Um, Islamic. Extremist terrorist. Generic. Um, okay. The the actor's name is uh, oh is actually on the tip of my tongue. The guy who plays like the the leader of them. But um, you know, it's a movie that I always enjoyed. Kurt Kurt Russell, right, is in it, and Steven Seagal has the uh, surprising like early death. Spoiler alert. Right. About yeah. Twenty minutes in. Yeah, I think that's probably his technically biggest movie. Maybe the one that made the most money, but uh, he dies like right away. And it's great. It's like, great. Thanks, Steven Seagal. You showed up. You did what you needed to do. We're good. <laughs> Kurt Russell's got it from here. Yeah, I'm looking at the cast list. Uh, David Suchet is... Uh, oh, that's... Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, he's the the leader, the lead But a very terrorist. strong cast. Yes. A very strong cast otherwise. Halle Berry, John yeah. Leguizamo, Oliver Platt, B.D. Wong. I, sh I want to talk a little bit about Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Dan, did you have a chance to watch it? 
Sadly, I was not able to watch it. As I told John, um, you know, uh, dealt with a credit card theft and it's, it's, it's all good. It's all, it's all okay. But, um, you know, switch some numbers around. So when I went to go, uh, rent, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Couldn't make it happen at the moment. And, uh, haven't have not had a chance and didn't see it back in the day when it came out. Yeah. Well, uh, while we're on the while we're on a, a similar subject, I do want to mention that you know, I Dan and I we don't have any sponsors on this podcast. We I don't have any Patreons or anything like that. But if you do want to help us out with uh, so we can rent <laughs> Under Siege Two Dark Territory, we just launched a um, a, a merch store on tpublic.com. Dan, you're laughing, but well, I'm laughing because it, I mean, yes, please, but I don't want to. I I am not crying poverty here. I'm just crying the oh, I don't have the right number, and I don't feel like going through the steps it takes to get it at the moment. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's worth saying. You know, uh, but sometimes now, you do have to rent shitty movies just to complete a uh, a series. What's up? But I will say. But what I will say is that. You know, by contributing to, you know, getting a piece of of the action there. Now that my, I do, now that I'm fully functional again, able to shop online, mm-hmm. I, I will, I'm sure I'll be hitting, hitting up the, uh, the merch shop there, trepublic.com. Tpublic. Tpublic. I think Tpublic is a tea company. Yeah. <laughs> like drinking okay. tea, not so t-shirt. Tpublic. dot com. Yeah, just search for Ruined Childhoods and you will find us there. Uh, we've got we've got only got a couple designs up right now. I'm going to be putting up some more soon. Um, but yeah, yeah, check it out. It's fun. But John, you were about to you were about to talk about Under Siege too, and then we were starting to talk about like you know financial woes and shopping and tis the season and all. But please take us into some dark territory. On his way from Denver to Los Angeles to pay tribute to his deceased brother, Ryback and his niece Sarah board a train anticipating a quiet ride to La La Land. What they don't know is that the U.S. military had recently launched a satellite into space with the power to destroy a city in mere minutes. On board the train are also two of the military scientists who designed the satellite, hoping for an hours-long romantic tryst. Shortly after entering the Rocky Mountains, the train is hijacked by a group of mercenaries led by Travis Dane, the main architect of the satellite who faked his death in order to be completely off the government's radar. After getting the codes from the two scientists on board, he's able to load a state-of-the-art CD-ROM and take control, holding the passengers of the train and also the entire world hostage in order to get a $1 billion payday into his Swiss bank account. Along with Dane is Marcus Penn, a real son-of-a-bitch tough guy, who is there to make sure that nobody messes with Dane during the takeover. Meanwhile, Ryback is in the kitchen, working with the cooks to make a cake for his niece. Whatever. When he catches wind of what's going on, he wriggles his way through the outside of the train cars and finds his way into the baggage car, where he meets the train's porter, who assists Ryback along the way. Together, they manage to eliminate the bulk of the mercenaries and really screw up Dane's plans. Ryback engages in another close-quarters knife fight with Penn, which he naturally wins. And after detaching the train cars containing the hostage passengers, Ryback, Sarah, and the porter hijack the bad guy's getaway helicopter as the train crashes, but Dane manages to wriggle his way up the chopper's rope ladder, off of which he is sent flying into a fiery pit of doom. 
So uh, Travis Dane is played by Eric Vigosian, uh, who a lot of people would know more recently from Uncut Gems. Uh, and the and the memes of Eric Bogosian sitting all sweaty in between the two doors. Uh, Everett McGill, who was Big Ed on Twin Peaks, is Marcus Penn, and he's a really great heavy. Um, Catherine Heigl is the niece, Sarah. And then we have Morris Chestnut as Bobby, the uh, the porter. And um, the only other note... Oh, and then the uh, the major general at the government headquarters is Kurtwood Smith. And then we've got Jonathan Banks, one of the mercenaries who is responsible for actually hijacking the train. And of course, he is Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad. We got a real Breaking Bad thing going on with Under Siege. So, Dan, I got to say, Eric Bogosian is awesome. He's a great bad guy. He's very like, I don't know, just wired up and crazy and fast talking and clever and uh, really, really sells it. Bonjour, guys. Who the hell is that? Jesus Christ. I'm not quite General Cooper, although I have sort of risen from the dead. No, it's just your old friend, Travis Dane. You remember, the guy you fired. And I bet just about now, you're probably asking yourselves, what the hell did we just shoot down? The answer is, the NSA's best and only functional real-time down-looking satellite, the NSP-1. Not a bad piece of hardware. You'd probably be calling them any minute now and asking them for its use. Unfortunately, since even they don't know where the fuck it is, they're not going to be much help. Have you got him? Have you got him? But I'm closing it. Do roughly know where the last transmission came from, so you're probably closing in pretty fast on Grazier One's probable location. Yep, it's in there somewhere. Hiding among those 50 ghost satellites I've created just for you. Razor One is viable and can produce results. Reproducible results. And to prove it, I'm going to be kind enough to give you another demonstration of my masterpiece. In 45 minutes, as soon as Grazier One's in position for a clear shot, I'm going to hit the Pentagon with a 98% blast. More than enough to fracture the nuclear reactor you say you don't have under there. We'll have fallout. We'll have devastation. And I've got things to do. Oh, I want you to remember something. I was smarter than all of you before I worked there. I was smarter than all of you while I worked there. And I'm still smarter than all of you. Au revoir. And, uh, you know, Catherine Heigl's fine. Morris Chestnut's great. He kind of replaces the uh, the Jordan Tate character, the kind of helper who he explains things to. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's way, it's way more effective for it to be, you know, Morris Chestnut. And, and Dan, I gotta say, it's great. Under Siege 2 Dark Territory is fucking great. It is banana town but it is really really enjoyable like if you just took the plot which it is what it is Mm -hmm. you could you could remake this movie today and and, you know just update it a little bit and it'd be just fucking awesome yeah yeah it sounded similar to like a live for your die hard or at least like the travis dane sounded uh you know it kind of sounded like a similar 
not the same, yeah. but mm-hmm. akin to the uh, uh, Timothy Oliphant role. Yeah, I feel like we just we we were trying to find his name a couple episodes ago, and Thomas we, Gabriel. Thomas Gabriel, right? Yeah, and um, uh, oh yeah. But- no, no, I was going to say, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory is fucking awesome, man. Yeah, and- I, I was I, I was bummed that I didn't get to to watch you it. Should, you should totally check it out. Oh, it's, man, it's you know, really I've, fun. I, it's, it's uh, yeah, I know. And I, I, I've also been a bit bit busy recently. Um, those who, who are listeners of the show, uh, long-time uh, listeners, well, long-time being like last year, might remember that I do some directing, some theater directing at the high school where I teach. And um, due to the restrictions, uh, the COVID restrictions, we're not in the building, uh, but we are working on a show, <laughs> yeah. the internet and whatever else we can do. So just, a, I've been a little uh, crazy with that. I'm just reading some trivia here about Under Siege 2. Go on. <laughs> and I'm reading, I'm just going to read this because it, it, it's fantastic. The casting director drew the ire of Steven Seagal after the action star returned from a vacation in Indonesia and discovered that Gary Busey had been hired to play the oh, villain. Yeah, this I remember this. This is nuts. <laughs> so, yeah, no, apparently like Gary Busey got a pay or play deal. So Gary Busey ended up getting paid $750,000 apparently out of Seagal's pocket because they cast him and then had to fire him because um, he played a character that got killed in the first movie. <laughs> right. And I, I want to say that there was a allegedly, first of all, by the way, Dan, allegedly got killed. Allegedly. In the first we don't know. He could have jumped off that submarine somehow. I don't know. Yes. Uh, so I, I think that there's something about uh, the script for Under Siege 2 Dark Territory originally. Um, no, no, no. no. If I'm good, this is off memory, so please excuse me. But there was another movie that was written that was very similar to Under Siege 2 Dark Territory. And when this was being made, they took that script that was going around and they reworked it and made it uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, okay. I, I think I remembered hearing that at, yeah. at some point. And by the way, we have to mention how both of these movies are Die Hard on a blank. Well, yeah. Die Hard yeah. on a Battleship. Die Hard on a Train. And, and that was certainly, you know, when Die Hard had such a huge, such huge success in 88. Oh. It was just part of the formula. Oh, every, everything after. I mean, Passenger 57, Speed, yeah. Yeah. so on and so forth. Uh, the other thing that I was reading has to do uh, on... The other thing that caught my eye here was that apparently Jenny McCarthy auditioned yes. for the role of Seagal's niece and Seagal N- told no. her to strip. No, she allegedly. Wasn't, I don't no. think she was uh, auditioning for the niece. I think she was auditioning for the the bartender um, who he kind of has like a flirtation with. But yeah, I don't think that yes. Jenny McCarthy yeah. was going sorry. for the role. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. Sorry, Kelly. Wrong, wrong character. Yeah. But yeah, yeah Jenny Kelly. McCarthy. So what happened with Jenny McCarthy is there was a casting, a real casting catch situation where Steven Seagal told her to undress and she said, this part doesn't ask for nudity, doesn't call for nudity. And he says, there's off screen nudity. And she was basically just like, if you want to see me naked, get the get Playboy and fuck you and left and good, good on for her. her good for her 
She's I mean, a fuck bad, her for being an anti-vaxxer, but she's an like, anti-vaxxer and fuck her for good that. Good for now. her for not stripping down for Steven Seagal. She is one of, I think, dozens of women with the same story, a lot of whom have attempted to sue Seagal for sexual harassment, but the lawsuits, I think, were all dropped after, I think, some big settlement payments. It's good to be a friend of Putin's. And Michael Ovitz, apparently. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is, I think, uh, pre-Putin. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Some of them. I don't know. Maybe some of them weren't. uh, From what I was reading, there was a pretty long run. Like, he's he's gotten away with this for for a long time. Real slime ball. Like, yeah. You know, before we started recording, Dan and I were talking about certain actors being canceled. And it's like, how Steven Seagal. I mean, I think that he's just been such a joke to so many people that it's like, why bother? (laughs) You know, he's already been. you know, canceled in so many people's minds already. He's gone so far, like he's farther out than like a Mel Gibson. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, Seagal is just, he's so, he's also just so. And also he's got like, he's, he's not like influential. Like I just don't care. And he's got, I think like three ex-wives, all of whom say awful things about him. Just like that he was the worst Saturday Night Live host of all time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was married to Lorne Michaels, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lorne Michaels. after he finally hosted. Lorne Michaels, uh, who notoriously does not comment on the quality of any hosts, has explicitly said that Steven Seagal was the worst host. <laughs> That they've ever had, and you that's know one it's bridge bad. that it's it's one bridge that it's okay to burn. I there's like one sketch that I saw that's on YouTube, and it is hard hard to watch. That should be a Steven Seagal movie because there are like three titles: hard to watch, hard to watch, <laughs> Steven Seagal in hard to watch. Yeah, so that was bad, but the, but no, uh, dark territory is great. Dark territory is a you know terminology about like untraceable, and because they're going through the Rockies, and oh, you know what also plays a huge role in dark territory, the what? Apple Newton tablet, the like first tablet, and Seagal has one that he keeps like. Recipes? Recipe, recipes and like tactics on. and moves like, <laughs> oh, my God, he's got two tabs, recipes, tactics. I'm I'm not even kidding. Like there, he's got like a notepad and there's like a drop down menu and one of them says tactics and then one of them is recipes. And basically what oh, he wow. uses it for is he hooks it up to like the train's comm system and he sends a fax to the restaurant that he owns, the Mile High Cafe or something in Denver, and uh, he faxes it to them. And the chef who works there, uh, Dan, I know I can make this uh, comparison to you because you will get it, but he is essentially Chef Brockett, Mr. Rogers. Oh, it's, it's, it's. Oh, so Mr. Rogers has this chef friend, Chef Brockett, who reminds me of, uh, of Spinner in, uh, Death to Smoochie, where it's like the guy who's like got something going on, you know, upstairs, but, you know, they're just like such good friends that he like gives him a role. That's, that's Chef Brockett on Mr. Rogers. Brad, how are you? I brought it. It's over there. Oh, good. But look, look. Ice cream. Yeah. 
half gallon, old fashioned bank roll. I'm gonna have my own soda fountain right here in the bakery. Yeah. Well, it's only started. There's lots of work to do, and the painters are only getting started now. There's lots that's going to the bakery. The guy is deranged, and he looks and sounds crazy, and. This guy who works at the Mile High, Mile High Cafe is totally Chef Brockett. Dan, you just need to like look up clips and you'll of the I, two I characters. Yeah. yeah, and it's so good. So um I want to watch the movie. He gets the facts and he he sees it and he's like, What the hell? This isn't the produce list. This is Oh my god. <laughs> like this his delivery is terrible. And uh he calls the Pentagon? Sir. Yeah. A cook has a message for you. A cook? Yes, sir. He says he has a code 3 message. I patch him through on the audio. Sure, a, uh, a joint chief of staff Bates there, please. Uh, this is Admiral Bates speaking. Uh, sir, I have a, uh, a fax message for you. Uh, it reads, Admiral, a force of armed men, probably numbering above 20, has taken over the Grand Continental passenger train Traveling from Denver to L.A. Key signature equipment of high bandwidth satellite transmission equipment satellite has transmission. been loaded on board. It's Dane. Aggressors We've appear got to be professional and Give fully armed. the exact location of the Grand Continental. Yes, sir. Who sent the message? It's Casey Ryback, sir. Casey Ryback? Casey Ryback's on this train? What the hell's he doing on this train? Casey. They are in the Pentagon. And he's just like some chef at a restaurant in Denver. Well, you don't think that Steven Seagal's restaurant would have a direct line to the Pentagon? Well, what's also Casey funny. Ryback's yeah, restaurant? what's also funny is some like when they when the Pentagon people find out that Casey Ryback is on the train, they're just like, Casey Ryback. They like they all know who he is. I mean, I guess <laughs> after Under Siege One, they you know the word got well, around. Well, even in the first one, like half the table knew, knew oh, who yeah. he was. Yeah, right. And in the first Under Siege, there's like the you know the the war room that's going on, and there's all the military officials sitting around like phones. And one guy picks up the phone. The back of the phone is filled with empty ports. It is that phone is not hooked up to anything, and they aren't even trying to make it seem like it. Anyway. Uh, no, but they can make that docked ship look like it's out at sea. Hey, and that's amazing. Great. It looked great. So anyway, um, Dark Territories, Bananas. I loved it. It was great. I want to, you know what? I came into this wanting to kind of apologize to everybody for not having, you know, had a chance to watch it and not doing my work. But now I'm really just apologizing to myself because <laughs> yeah. like I, I clearly should have made the time and and I will. I will. Yeah. So, Dan, what could you potentially see happening with the Under Siege franchise? Which, by the way, Seagal has said that there is a third in the works, but that's complete bullshit because he's Steven Uh, Seagal and I don't believe anything he says. I think the last thing that was posted on it was like from five years ago. Which is still, you know, way too recent for Steven Seagal to be putting out a, a good movie. Yeah, no, it's it's not happening. So as I was thinking about it and I was trying to think of like, you know, the current current climate and like, what do you do? And, you know, maybe you could remake it, but rather than setting it contemporarily, actually set it prior to, you know, just do a remake that's set in like the 60s or something. But uh-huh. really, but 
no, that's not the way I'm going with this. And when it comes down to it, I think there's only one way to kind of revive the plot and, and the characters of, of Under Siege and perhaps even Under Siege 2. And that would be in a MacGruber movie sequel. Oh. <laughs> I see no uh, other so way to do it other than just MacGruber is he he's just he's a chef on a ship and like I, I don't think it should be called anything having to do with Under Siege, but it should just be one of those where like you're watching it and a few minutes in you're like, are they doing Under Siege? <laughs> well, also there's there's a total MacGyver moment in the first Under Siege where he's like putting a bomb together with like a condom in a dream like he does something <laughs> that just like doesn't make any sense oh uh, absolutely yeah. it's so i think i feel like it's so it suits it so nicely it sets up a plot for a mcgruber sequel which as yeah. mcgruber has become so much more of a uh like a cult hit over the last well, 10 MacGruber years is coming back as a, a peacock original series yeah, but is that going to – my question on that is, is it going to be able to go the distance the way that the original movie did? And I feel like – On a streaming and, service? And I don't know if the rules are any different. I Yeah, I don't know. But I, I would like – I would still like to see a a MacGruber under – and like it could even – like because you don't have to exactly do the whole movie. You could do it where like the first half of it is they're on the ship and then – he gets off the ship and then they just decide to like, he's like, oh man, I just want to get away from it. I'll take a train ride across the country. And- oh, yeah. So by the way, the reason why he's on a train in the second one is because his brother died in a plane crash. And so they are traveling by train because airplanes, no thank you. Oh, yeah. okay. So that's the, the reasoning for that. I I love where your mind is, Dan, but I got to say, I want to see a dark territory remake i i think a dark territory is a a much more fun plot line and like i feel like see i feel like early 90s there was a there was much more support for the military uh around the oh, time of the, after gulf, after war. the gulf war absolutely yeah. so it it's made, a great setup for that movie with, yeah like, so it Bush made a lot of sense in the early 90s to have this battleship movie not the movie battleship which I also love, but not a movie that takes place on a battleship nowadays. It doesn't really work. It's not as universal. I think an- another thing, go- like to your point about the re- about remaking Dark Territory, is I think about movies from like re- 1995 that are about like the new technology. Mm. Yeah. Which was really like the embryonic form of the, or the like, you know, fetal form of the technology we have now. Right. And like, like GoldenEye did like a very similar thing. GoldenEye, the, the net was another the one net, that, yeah. that was like the mysterious, like, take this, um you know, take this like mini disc and. Sure. Oh, yeah. It was the same with this in the CD-ROM that he had. Like it was. Exactly. The yeah. high text CD-ROM. The Apple yeah. Newton. Yeah. So I think that if you redid dark territory without focusing so much on the the tech aspect of it in terms i mean this the space tech aspect i think works even better because you do have a lot more like weird stuff going on in space especially with like spacex and elon musk you have and satell- space force 
and the real space, space force, not the real the space force. Um, it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how much longer that'll be a thing. And <laughs> also we had, you know, and it, it just, it just kind of is a universal thing, but there have only been a few movies in the past 10, 15 years that kind of evoke this same action movie vibe. You know, like the 90s action movies definitely had a feeling to them. And I feel like past 10, 15 years, you've got movies like Skyscraper that have a very similar feeling to them. Maybe like Geostorm. Disaster, like disaster movies. Right. There's a lot more disaster. I I also liken this one to like White House Down, I which I prefer to um, the Olympus Has Fallen series of movies. Oh, oh definitely. Uh, White House Down close. with Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx is so freaking enjoyable. I love it. That's a fun movie. Jimmy I Simpson. Saw that. It's so good. I got I'll take it back because I saw that at uh, the drive-in hmm. back before it was a necessity. Yeah. Um, in Warwick, New York. Uh, I think we saw that as a, a double feature with The Heat. Oh, that's fun. And yeah, so I remember- I feel- yeah, I feel yeah, like so White House fun. Down was, you know, the same like vibe as like a it felt like a 90s action movie. You know, it's it it's it's it Die did. Hard in the White House. It's a guy who isn't really supposed to be there. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, well that's also the past 4 years. Um <laughs> Um, anyway yeah so uh yeah yeah, so but i feel like i would actually really enjoy a remake of dark territory with like i don't know maybe directed by roland emmerich i think that he is so much fun i i'm pretty sure he did white house down did he do White? oh yeah i I think think he did did white House House down Down. Yeah. Uh, yeah i was um reading up on him recently and, you know, you you think about Roland Emmerich and you think about some of his, like, crazy disaster movies. And I think that in my mind, he was more of one of those, like, ultra patriot type people. But he's actually, like, he has a collection of, like, really bizarre art. I need to, like, look it up really quickly. I feel like he almost parodies it. Roland Emmerich and art then the collection. Day after, I mean, The Day After Tomorrow was so, dare I say, like, ahead of its Kind of ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Roland Emmerich also made a movie about Shakespeare called Anonymous that I never oh. saw, but I always was interested in. So Roland Emmerich, huge campaigner for the LGBT community and is openly gay, which you would not expect from not just like that. watching his movies. Uh, so his art collection includes a painting of Jesus Christ wearing a Catherine Hamnet style T-shirt during his crucifixion. Prince of Allison Jackson's works of a Princess Diana lookalike making obscene gestures and engaging in sex acts, a wax sculpture of John Paul II laughing as he reads his own obituary, and a photoshopped image of Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad in a homoerotic pose. Uh, in homoerotic pose, I, I mean, I kind of love him. He sounds great. He sounds awesome. I know. I want to hang out. He does with sound him. great. So I, I mean. I would you know, love it if I'm he did. I'm a fan of Independence Day. Sure, Independence Day is amazing. I, and 2012 I was, was a was, 2012 was, was good. Was kind of fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that he would be the perfect person to do an under siege movie, or if you just made Dark Territory its own movie and remade it. I it would be great if they remade it as Under Siege Two: Dark Territory, but yeah. just had nothing. Well, here's the thing: no. Under Siege Two: Dark Territory. You don't need to see the first one to get anything. You know, right. you meet Casey Ryback and he's 
he's clearly a guy with a a fascinating past who's like well known and there's nothing about it that you would need to see the first one for i think mm. it stands alone as its own better second movie it clearly had a smaller budget the the cgi was very sub 1995 i feel like it it definitely um has gotten way better since then like even people who make homemade cell phone movies do better graphics than (laughs) dark territory did it's a 25 year jump in in technology yeah and and i don't know who i would want to cast as ryback but i'll tell you what i want eric bogosian to reprise his role as travis dane i have no problem eric you know eric bogosian is also um a renowned playwright that's right what, what did he talk write? Ra- talk, talk radio is the one. Mm. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll was like his one man show. But talk radio was a play of his. And it was also ad- adapted into, I think Oliver Stone directed it in 1988, mm-hmm. where Eric, Eric Bogosian, Ellen Green, Alec Baldwin. Um, but talk Bogosian radio. Is great. He's great. A talk radio also interesting in, in the, in the um, kind of shadow of our discussion of Fisher King with Jack Lucas. Mm. Talk radio, kind of a similar character. Uh, but yeah, Bog- Bogosian's great. Who would be a good? Uh, what about like Michelle? What about Michelle Rodriguez? Emrod. Yeah, she's great. I could totally see she her. She kicks ass, and I would like to see her as the as you know. The hero. You know who I was actually thinking that I would really like. I would love to see Emily Blunt because she's so good in Edge of Tomorrow. I I think <laughs> I mean, that you know we we haven't seen enough of her doing action. Well, there's yeah, Edge of Tomorrow. Is it was Sicario? I would not consider that so much action. I, I don't. Um, yeah, but no, Emily Blunt would be fine. Yeah, she'd be great. Why not? Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Anyway, so I think that there's definitely potential for just Dark Territory to be remade. I mean, it's if you're great. just making it Dark Territory free of Under Siege, it's you're really free to you know yeah. not even call the character Ryback. Right you know what? Also... <laughs> Fuck it. Put Kurtwood Smith back in there. Same role. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and, and interesting, sorry, interesting footnote here, but because I have to bring in the, you know, my my professional wrestling um, expertise is that there um, was a, a wrestler who was named for the character Casey Ryback. He just was called Ryback. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's not there anymore. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, it was, it, But it was so interesting hearing people like, you know, hearing the name Ryback and I was like, under siege? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Dan, anything else you want to talk yeah. about with Under Siege? Uh, you know, or just Steven that there's Seagal? an interesting, well, there's an interesting chain. And also, did you notice, by the way, so weird coincidence, because, you know, the Fisher King opens using the song The Power by Snap. Right. Also in Under Siege, Under Siege. features the same song. You know, I was watching it with Laura, my wife, uh, who, of course, was like, I'm going to go to bed early and then sits down and watches all of Under Siege. And it's just like, I can't believe I just got sucked into this, but it's so good. Uh, I mentioned that to her when that song came on. And the same thing happened uh, when I put Under Siege 2 on. She sat down and she's like, I'm not going to get sucked into this. Watched it till the very end and l- loved nice. it. <laughs> Nice, but yeah so so there's that and there's also this weird chain you know we talked about jfk but we didn't really talk about the third part in the chain because it's jfk under siege and the fugitive Mm. which was andrew davis's next film was an academy award nominee the the next year and it it shares i think the same producers 
Hmm. A lot of the cast, like the guy who's guarding Ryback when he's in like the meat locker. Oh that's yeah, he's the there. guy. That's that's like the the rookie on Tommy Lee Jones's team oh, in the Fugitive. The guy the who rookie. Yeah, always hmm. playing the rook. And yeah, there's some other people who show up in, but like the guy, the guy with the mustache who's in the, he's like trapped in the room that's flooding. Mm. And he's kind of like the guy in charge. He always has a Chicago accent and everything, (laughs) like heavy Chicago accent. But he's in the Fugit. Even some, and then there was like some of the music that was even like the music in JFK. There was like the. Okay. Like they they were doing that in Under Siege, and it's just an odd. It's it, to me, it's just an odd connection, an odd chain of of movies from like you know Oliver Stone's epic docudrama about the Kennedy assassination. Well, you know, I was I was just curious to see if Pamela Basker, who was the casting director for Under Siege, I wanted to see if she also was the casting director for The Fugitive, but she was not. No, I think it was Andrew Davis has. It could have been, yeah. I, you know, so a lot of times when I see the same chunks of people showing up in the same things, I wonder, like, did they, was the same casting director? Was it maybe they have the same agent or in the same agency and, you know, sending people out for the same projects and things like that? But yeah, and it's probably a Andrew lot of Davis. times You're right. it's like, yeah, no, you know, I mean, it's like, that's like how, you know, Josh Molina pops up in a lot of uh, Aaron Sorkin projects because, right. you know, they're, they're old friends. I think they used to be roommates. Oh really? So, so yeah. So that's um, you know, aside from aside from you know being a good actor, yeah, sure. Josh Molina. Um, well, or else he w- wouldn't be cast in the things. No, know. no, true. So, yeah. but yeah, I, Dan, I loved talking about Under Siege. This is it's great. What a treat. And I, I should point out the last time I watched Under Siege before this time was with you. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, and now we've we've completed the circle. We've talked about it. <laughs> now we never have to watch it again. Look at that. We didn't talk about it then. We just watched it and said someday we'll come back to this. Yeah, I don't know it. how or when, but someday or who's going to be listening? Yeah. So uh, why don't we talk about our next episode? Well, so as you said earlier, we we are we're going through the '90s year by year and kind of choosing a movie. Uh, for each year. So our 1993 pick is the Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, and Margaret Burgess, Meredith, Kevin Pollock, Daryl Hannah comedy, Grumpy Old Men. And of course, yeah. we'll also be talking about Grumpy Er Old Men. Sure. And we're it's probably going to tie it back to Fargo because we've got the Gustafsons in the, in the, in the Grumpy <laughs> Old Men movies. So, uh, yeah, um, follow us on Twitter, ruined underscore pod, Instagram at ruined childhood spot. Email us your thoughts, ruined childhood spot at gmail.com. Check us out on T Public and uh, buy some merch. We got some fun stuff. Yeah. And hey, if you if you get a t shirt, a mug, a mask, a sticker, send us a know, picture. You, exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Send us a picture. And on that note, yeah, Dan, as you enter dark territory. You have a good journey. <laughs> All right, good journey. Oh, brother, can you hear that sound? Out on the wind, alone. It's a lonesome whistle as the steel wheels pound. 
the train. 